This is an Area Code podcast. This episode of Table of Malcontents is brought to you by Gospel Centered Discipleship on April 13th in Louisville. It's Louisville. Louisville? Louisville? Louisville. Louisville. That's how you got to say Okay. I think so. So on April 13th, right before Together for the Gospel, Gospel Centered Discipleship is hosting their 2020 Writers Intensive, featuring Ronnie Martin, Jonathan Dodson, and Jared C. Wilson. This event is all about equipping Christian writers to grow as leaders and disciple makers in the world today. Dude, I just noticed I'm a little upset that they didn't include you. I don't think they like Canadians. No, what do you think? Well, no. no, they do love Canadians. I think they it's do. more that I'm just not helpful. They just don't like you. It's yeah, okay. That's right. It's all right. But anyway, head over to gcdiscipleship.com today to learn more and register. You're listening to The Table of Malcontents, where Aaron Armstrong, Dave Schrader, and Tim Challey talk about the books they love and a few they really don't to help you be a better reader. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of Table of Malcontents. I'm Aaron, with me as always is Dave. Dave, what's going on, man? I'm feeling um, like a new type of minority right now, of nationality, that is. That's true, because we have two Canadians in this lovely executive lounge in a hotel. I'd say one and a half Canadians. I'm still a Canadian, Are you already throwing them out? He left. (laughs) <laughs> he left. Right, I, yeah. I, so, so listeners, this is Tim Challies wow. that's with us today. Fully Canadian. <laughs> Fully Canadian Tim Challies. Hi, Tim. Hey. <laughs> so let's let's settle this right now. So so because I left, I'm only half Canadian. Is that right? Are you now a permanent resident? I'm a permanent resident, but I'm not an American citizen. Is that because you don't want to be an American citizen or just haven't allowed you yet? Um, I'm not eligible for it. But? But? But I would be open to it. There you go. Okay. So he's on the path. That, that, it just that, say that you're a Christian it, if you're open to Satanism, <laughs> if you're on the path to it. Wow. 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 Uh, Tim, wow. Welcome to the so, podcast. Yes, right welcome. There. Thank so, you for, yeah. for, 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 yeah. for that. That's yeah. a great way to yeah. kick off an episode. Yeah, my <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> wow, I don't know where to go with that one. Um, but, I mean, uh, th- it can I, only go up from here. This is great. So, um, it's, so it's equal parts now. So one and a half to one and a half uh, American right. Canadian. Okay. Sure. Right. We'll go with that. We'll with so. That. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, uh, so while we're at it, though, all right, so how many days are you allowed to visit the United States? I'm not going to ask you. You can't answer this Why? right now. Why, because I know it? Yeah. <laughs> how many days? Uh, visits a year, yeah. Are, are you, is there, like, a maximum in terms of, like, just being a visitor, a tourist? I have no idea. Okay. All right. I can tell You're you. just waiting until they detain you. And, you know, Americans love detaining. <laughs> Sorry. They do. That's true. I, I have that nexus uh. thing, so I just kind of skirt through the border without talking to people. So I, I maybe I should find that out. I'm, okay. I've only so, been here for four days. Oh, you've okay. got, you've got. If you're listening to me, America, four days this yeah, year. Yeah, but you're, nice. you're based, yeah, but you're in like Canada South right now in Minnesota. This yeah, is, yeah. this is like, this is the borderlands right now. So. It's as American as Aaron is. Just kind of like. Whoa. <sighs> Man, I, sorry, just, wow. just skirting the border I, there. I have, wow. I have not been in such a conversation like this because, like, when we've had like Daniel M on, who would be, you know, another Canadian who you would, well, he's gone back to the homeland. Yes, he's a, he he passes the church in Edmonton. Yeah, now, so, he, so but he was in fine. Lifeway for like four years, right, four or five years. Yeah, and but he went back. 
but he was he was nice to you. This is a little bit different. I yes. like this. Yes. So this is, let's keep let's let's go with this. Tim, Tim feels took yeah. it very personally when I decided to leave. Apparently, so you know. and that's okay. I understand yeah. that. You know. Yeah. There's. Anyways, yeah. We'll yeah. Just, just go with it. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Right. It's All it's right. the brain drain slash abandoning. The. Uh, we we'll call it a brain drain. Oh. <sighs> All right. This podcast is over. <laughs> We're done. Yeah. Goodbye, yeah. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, okay. Uh, no, this is great. This I, is great. I, I will say this: since I've I've known Aaron over the past five, six years, whatever it's been, Aaron, um, you, um, I did borrow his complete idiot's guide to Canadian history, which mm-hmm. was lovely, mm-hmm. um, and he gave me a book about the War of eighteen twelve, the one from uh, what's the uh, Pierre Burton? Pierre Burton. Oh yeah, but burning the White House. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah okay, exactly. Yeah, that's right. He got which, to see yeah. the Canadian which side I'm of that story. Which I'm skimming through it. I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is this is hilarious. This is nothing I've read before, which proves a lot, right sure. there. Yeah. He's like, you uh, guys are liars. Oh no. This is not what they taught us. No. Yeah. It, it really yeah. wasn't even a Canadian conflict, was it? No. We were just sort of caught in the middle between these two other countries who were bickering yes. back and forth. But true. Yes. We as Canadians still still claim yeah. it. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And the guy to Canadian was up by Ferguson. Is that? Yeah, Will yeah. Ferguson. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. So yeah, I mean the but I mean when my wife and I read the com, the complete idiot's guide to Canadian history, we learned more in that than we did in history class mm, yeah. in uh, in public school. So, which may not be saying a lot, but well, yeah. I mean it was public school in mm-hmm. the '90s, so yeah, yeah, wow. yeah that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Well, while it was a dark on time, it, by the way. I'm, I'm gonna. Um, uh, I do th- for listeners. I do want them to have just like a, a brief intro to who you are. If they don't, they should know who you are if they don't. But um, but I, I think do more bef- of them know who he is than they know who we are. So oh, that's very true right there. Yeah. But I'm going to pass over that for a second because I do want to play off of this. So when you're growing up in Canada, mm-hmm. what are the essential books they like have kids read? And I'll leave that kind of general, like from learning to read all the way up to like 15. So I could, sure. formative reading years. Like what, what what's what's thrown at you I don't know anymore because everything's changed um I'm growing up it was Anne of Green Gables and stuff was kind of you had to read that but probably there's something wrong with Anne of Green Gables now that you can't read it um maybe her anti-Americanism which was part of the the joy of it was how much Lucy Maud Montgomery disliked Presbyterians and Americans that's a lot of the humor of the book comes out in in those things um other than that, you had to read some Margaret Lawrence and Margaret Atwood in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, good feminist Canadian authors um, railing against the system. Other than that, I don't know. I don't know some yeah. Canadian history. I mean, like text. they had Farley Mowat. Farley um, Mowat yeah. is a good one, but I'd be surprised if like you're reading. Oh, okay. I doubt yeah. they're reading Farley Mowat anymore. I'm pretty sure they're not. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a pretty safe bet. So I don't know. So much has changed. Yeah. I mean, they still had some of the staple stuff that I mean you would hear too. Like they 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 th- inflicted um, Catcher in the Rye on us when I was in middle school. Sure. Um, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Yeah. We had so to read those. to read. It was okay. read aloud for us. I remember that. Yeah. In, oh, in high wow. school. Oh, that that's yeah. gonna be. Cool. I mean, some yeah. classics yeah. just transcend transcend the border. But I'm so. sure those aren't read anymore. Probably either not. For, um, yeah. Whatever reason. Probably not. Imagine, yeah. yeah. My daughter, uh, my oldest daughter is 11. She's reading in class Hatchet, Gary Paulson, which came out, I was like, it was like a Newbery Award winner when I was probably of that age, something in like fifth, sixth grade, something like that. So I remember reading them, I'm rereading it. But essentially it's, the boy is, 
his plane, he's going to see his father who lives way north. Think of like Quebec and go north a couple hundred miles. So he's flying in a plane with this pilot who dies of a heart attack. So they crash and it's him surviving mm -hmm. out in the Canadian wilderness. And uh, no, it's, I don't know, I'm sure Barnum, I, I looked up a review, Barnabas did not like it, but I don't know, it's been a while since I read it clearly, but I don't know. That's, that's an American writing that I believe, I don't think that's, but right. I do like the Canadian survival right. stories sure. too. Well, yeah. there's a lot of places to survive where it's basically just sheer survival. <laughs> true. That's so true. I think, yeah. Aaron, we were probably at the tail end of the era of telling history where it was all triumph. You would only focus on the great parts of Canadian history. So it was yeah. Vimy Ridge, it was like these, these moments where you could, you could talk about Canadian heroism. I yeah. think our kids are in a different era where almost all they learn is the bad parts of Canadian history or the shameful parts of Canadian yeah. history. Um, so they massively, I think, overcorrected from not talking about the bad stuff and only talking about the good stuff to, to only, only talking why, about the why bad we're stuff. bad and yeah. Yeah, yeah, kind of the history of oppression, the history, and clearly there is some history of oppression yeah. that that should be told. But I think it's sort of overcorrected now, and uh, yeah, hopefully need, they'll be able. Both. Yeah, you need both. Yeah. And the other thing is Canadian identity has shifted so much. Um, mm -hmm. We've become a massively immigrant culture, yep. which I think most of us agree has been a wonderful thing for Canada. Um, Canada, a country with a big country attitude, but a small population. Mm -hmm. And so Canada has been inviting the world to, to migrate to Canada. And I think it's been right. a very successful uh, experiment in multiculturalism, mm -hmm. but it also has changed the Canadian identity. So yeah. a great, minority now of Canada's population, Toronto, a great majority, yeah. would not identify with Canadian history prior to about 1990. Right. It, it's, they were, their family was in a different country at the yeah. time. So I think Canadian history has had to shift as well. Yeah. So um, a while back, and it, it really stuck with me because it pinpointed an issue that um, that I really resonated with, and it kind of made a few, a bunch of things make sense. Was a statement that was in Mike Myers' book Canada, <laughs> um, and so this was his love letter to the nation that he hasn't lived in for thirty years. Of course, of course, <laughs> of course. But he made a he made a very good, or what I thought was a very good point, which was he said that part of the issue with Canadian uh, with Canadian identity is that we're a country without a mission statement. So mm -hmm. in America, or in the United States anyway, there is this um, very strong sense of what it means to be an American citizen, um, at least in theory. Um, and so, so, so politicians in particular can play on patriotism quite a bit. That's it, but there's a challenge with that with Canadians where I mean certainly my my feeling growing up and uh, right through the time I moved was the only key distinguishing thing was we're not Americans right we are diverse too and True. so diversity is a difficult identity yes um, because it is diverse it, it's by right. definition not a firm identity so um, as Canada defines itself as a multicultural place yeah. Um, that is a form of identity, but I don't know that's a real call to action uh, or mission, yeah. as you said. And America got off to a different start in defining itself over and against right. an oppressive regime. Exactly, where um, Canada exists as a separate nation because of the the... Brit the British Empire got bored. Yeah, <laughs> and eventually we just kind of said, I guess we should call this what it is and yeah. make us our own thing. Yeah. But we didn't define ourselves against anything, which sort of happened. Yeah. Um, and so we don't have that sort of, that's, yeah, it's very different from, from yeah. America. There's not that grand struggle 
that no. that America, yeah. United States, can pinpoint on yet. Yeah, yep. Canada. I mean, <laughs> which you could argue that the way Canada became what it is in a peaceful way, for the most part, mm-hmm. is a good thing. You sure. Know? Yeah, but, it's not a bad uh, thing. It, yeah. It's just different. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. different. Even our yeah. identity as peacekeepers, mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't say whatever America's identity is, I wouldn't say it's a peacekeeping nation, more um, the world policeman kind of thing, <laughs> or, you know, America sees itself as, as helping the world in that yeah. way. Uh, Canada comes in later and tries to solve the problems or maintain mm-hmm. the peace. So just very... Uh, countries that are oriented very differently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you can feel like they're they're closer than they are in their in their structure and their attitude because of their geographic proximity. Yeah. But if I go to New Zealand or I go to Scotland or I go to Australia, I feel more at home there, even though they're on the other side of Earth, than I do when I cross the border an hour from me into Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. It America feels like more of a foreign country yeah. than these these other ones that are part of the same British. Empire, yeah, uh, yeah, the Commonwealth, Commonwealth countries, yep. yeah. But by the way, I picked up on something uh, pronunciation that you made, and it would be against. You say against, against. Uh, what? He says against. 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 I say, I say against. It's I think either one's legitimate. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> okay. I'd probably go both ways. Okay. It's, All right. I didn't know how. It's, uh, it's not like rough okay. and roof or mature and mature or something right, where right. it's like okay. clearly evil to say it one way and okay. clearly virtuous. All right. To say so it which the other. one is uh, which one is evil in your mind? Uh, mature is evil. Mm. Mature. Mm. Mature. Is yeah, it that's just right. pompous? Pompous. Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds a little bit too close to unlearned. All right, so take this hammer out of your head. Yeah, I like discernment. That. That's another one. Oh uh, my goodness. Discernment. Versus discernment rather than discernment. Yeah. It's, there's no Z or Z in, yeah. in discern. All right. By the way, I wish the United States would adopt Z. I think it's easier because you say Z. It's it too much with E right, yeah. and so on. I know. ZZ Top as a band does sound weird. It's, it, it, there yes. are consequences, Point. unforeseen Point. consequences. Can, we be, that shift. I Can we be flexible? I think right. you yeah. need to be flexible for those yeah. kind of things. Okay. So, yeah. All right. I don't want to go right. against so. the grain You're go here. against it? <laughs> all right. Go ahead. All right. Well, all right, Tim, say resor- resources for me. Yeah. <laughs> Resources. There you go. Thank you. There's a Z in that. Clearly, there is absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have been mocked mercilessly for four, almost four years now, because of specifically because of how I say resources. Resources or, or resources. Resources. <laughs> resources. Mm. They want me to say resources. 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 Mm. And I'm like, I can't do that. It it feels wrong. Yeah. Well, so, and, yeah. and or it's the the pompous would be you know. Resource. Resource. Resource, just like sure. research, you know, versus... You As know, a opposed to research. Isaiah, there's some things that are just oh. so so pompous. <sighs> so one thing I've noticed as I've traveled a lot is there really are regional... It's one language, yeah, sure. but regional, regional. So you go to India, you hear the, the phrase, and I love it, do the needful. So okay. you'll just say, all right, you go do the needful, which means do what needs to be done. Yeah. It, it's clear what it means, but we never say that in North America. It's just yeah. a foreign phrase, but there's... Yeah. English, developed English there, but it's just got its own intricacies. You go to um, Zambia or something, which is primarily English-speaking. English yeah. is the official language, and uh, you find some different phrases there. So yeah. it's part of what I love about the English language. It, yeah, it's, it, it's it very modifies fluid. itself and very fluid and very yeah. regionalized. 
Yeah, that's very cool. All right. What's so, this podcast about? Oh, eventually. Well, it's eventually about books. It's about but, books. Uh, okay, cool. but books and tangents. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's good. really. There we are need, a lot need, of rabbit trails. We need to update it's, our uh, our paragraph description. I mean, I think I mean so this, this is one. just the this is just the thing. But Tim, one of the things that people know you really um, really well for is not just the fact that you write books, but you're you're were known first for your reading of books mm-hmm. and your reviews of books um and so um so i mean the first book that um the first of your books that got published was uh the discipline of spiritual discernment yep um, discernment yes or discernment <laughs> as uh, as some people say i don't know who those people are um i won't out them on this podcast <laughs> But I mean, that was that was a key one, and and that was actually a really helpful book um, for me reading as a as a brand new Christian because um, I can I was a I think I was a believer for about two years when that came out, <laughs> and just the whole the whole concept of discernment not just being a spiritual gift, but actually something that you have to work at. That yes, certain people are gifted in a particular way. But all Christians are expected to be discerning in how they read, and you are still more or less the only daily Christian blogger in the world. <laughs> um, you are still also one of the only ones who identifies themselves as a blogger first, mm-hmm. ahead of being an author. And so that's just kind of a, that's like uh, there's the, I love the little bit of rebellion that's mm-hmm. that's there. So yeah. and, uh, tell me about that. Why do you do that? Because I think um, blogging, when it began, was we, we didn't really know what it was, but it was just this new form of communication we were exploring. Um, along the way, it got co-opted into a path to something else. So people realized you can become an author by first being a blogger. It became the minor leagues of right. authoring. Um, I realized a lot of people were exploiting blogging in that way, and that's why blogging got so bad. It's because people weren't really invested in it. They didn't really care about it. They just wanted to be on the speaker circuit or they wanted to be writing books. And so they used blogging as a stepping stool to get there. Um, I think that really harmed blogging because then it was all about getting noticed. I needed to build a platform. I needed to get popular enough that an agent would pay attention to me and a publisher would pay attention to me. Yeah. And so you'd do manipulative things. You'd write your listicles, everything else, just trying to get noticed. Um, along the way, I decided I'm just going to define myself as a blogger, so I do that well. I don't yeah. want to see it as a means to another end. I'll do authoring on the side, but I want to make blogging my main thing. Yeah. So I also just kind of think it's funny to see on the back of a book, like I'll write an endorsement or something, and it'll be like this guy, PhD yeah. professor at this seminary, and then it'll just be Tim Challey's blogger. I yeah. Just, it's so good. I just find it fun. Yeah. It is. Um it is quintessentially Canadian yeah, of you so. to do that. It's that like, I just want to mess with the system yep. a little bit, kind of passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. I think there's some it's of that. It's the best. Yeah. It's yeah. the best. I really respect that. Yeah, so. I decided to embrace the label. I, I really had to do that. I, yeah. I mean, more on the serious side, I really had to embrace the label and decide, am I going to be a blogger and okay with it? Yeah. Or will I say I'm an author? And I do use the terms... I use both terms at, at different times, right. but yeah, I'm I mean, okay with being a blogger. Right. I mean, it's just a, it's a medium, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, you're still an author. You're an author of a blog. Sure. But I want to <laughs> um, do that well. And so yeah. that's the main thing, just wanting to blog well and not just be willing to jettison it when something better comes along. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Is that a, is that an accu- accusation right there? No. Okay. Not at cool. all. That's good. Cool. No. I, uh, 
but you've learned along the way it's hard to do every day it's a it is it has to kind of be the major thing if you want to well, make it a big thing yeah and i mean i like i mean i had a really good run of daily mm-hmm. and like longer than i expected mm-hmm. in all honesty and it wasn't even until um i moved here that i had to cut back because i was going to die yeah right <laughs> um but mm-hmm. then i you know, I was dumb and I wrote two books, like three books in 18 months and mm-hmm. I burned myself out. So yeah. a little bit. So it's hard to get back in the routine though. It, that's part of the reason I've done it every day for all these years. And yeah. I should be clear. I don't write every day. I post something every day. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's part of the reason I've done it and stuck with it is I know once I break the routine, it'll get easier and easier to break the routine it does. even more. Yeah, it does. Um, even if you're like, okay, this is the new routine and then yeah. the new routine slides mm. and yeah, yeah. I've got a bit of an obsessive personality that way, so I'm just kind of sticking with it. And yeah. it's been however many years now, 15 or something silly like that. So yeah. I just kind of keep going. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Did you look at it when you got into it as just kind of a little bit of an experiment? Hey, I enjoy mm-hmm. this. Let's just, yeah, no expectations. Yeah. I was really just writing for my family. They had moved to the States, and I was kind of going through some stuff at a church, um, had migrated out of the, the Reformed world I had grown up in into more mainstream Baptist, so from Dutch Reformed, into Baptist and happened to get into that right at the the kind of swell of the church growth movement. And I was really just working that through in my own mind and started writing about it. And it just happened to be the time lots of other people were thinking about that and rediscovering Reformed theology. And so it was really just kind of describing my own growth uh, as, as I went through it. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. very cool. Yeah. What kind of books were you reading then that were you know, forming the way you would look at the world. Yeah. Yeah. So I read a lot when I was young, uh, but not much that was Christian. I remember my parents buying me an R.C. Sproul book, and I didn't read it until a few years ago. And I think I was partly just rebellion against my parents. And, <laughs> I mean, you know, R.C.'s great, but he's not a ton of attraction there for a 15-year-old or whatever. My parents were probably optimistic in giving me that book, uh, right. hoping I would read it. So I didn't read a lot, but when I came when I started getting serious about theology, my pastor at the time was giving me like purpose-driven church, read this, this is gonna change your life, change the way you see church and all that. So I had read that and um, some others. And then um, that was just when the emerging church was getting started. So people are handing me like some of the early Brian McLaren and stuff. Yeah. I went into a Christian bookstore one day and I just thought, I just wanna read something. And um, this was a, not a very good Christian bookstore, lots and lots of bad books. But I happened to walk out that day with The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul and uh, Ashamed of the Gospel by John MacArthur and Whatever Happened to the Gospel of Grace by James Montgomery Boyce. And so that was just like a one, two, three punch that, I mean, Ashamed of the Gospel was, it undid the purpose-driven church. That was the whole point of the book. Yeah. The holiness of God, the um, emergent movement cannot stand up to the holiness of God. And then whatever happened to the gospel of grace was calling me back to my reformed roots, the reformed theology I'd learned in the Presbyterian and Dutch reformed traditions growing up. So yeah. somehow those three books, which I still believe God must have just like somehow dropped into that store or something. Those were the first <laughs> three like really solid Christian books I read and they changed everything. Over over the years, what are what are some of the things that you've seen um, and as you've been kind of watching how trends in, um, you know, in the Christian publishing realm? What are some of the things that have surprised you, or had there been have there been things that have you didn't see coming, or that you've been pleasantly surprised by? Well, I think 
when the, the Reformed movement got going, everybody was about Reformed theology. And so there are lots of books about Reformed theology, uh, just trying to get people indoctrinated with the doctrines of grace. Yeah. And then shortly thereafter was the five solas, kind of getting people established in foundational Reformed theology. Um, what happened along the way was it became a little bit commercialized where people realized they could make money off this. I'm not saying there's any bad people out there trying to make money, but yeah. publishers need money to survive. And so they'll start hiring authors to, to fill out uh, the market a little bit. Yep. Um, and so you saw it with the gospel-centered thing. Once that yes. term got coined, very quickly there was a gospel-centered everything. Yeah. And so now you have a gospel-centered parenting, gospel-centered marriage, gospel-centered evangelism, gospel-centered church, gospel-centered pet ownership, gospel-centered everything. Yep. And, and so you had this whole new term. It wasn't yep. really saying anything new, but a whole new term, and the, the market would just fill it out. And um, so I think that kind of surprised me, the sort of commercialization of this thing. But I think what happened along the way is we got away from the, the grounding in Reformed theology. Yeah. So I expect there's a lot of people who are part of the Reformed movement now who have never actually read a book on the five points and probably need to go all the way back to the very basics and rebuild <laughs> that that theology. You can be Reformed now without really knowing anything about Reformed theology, which oh, is absolutely. a strange, strange yeah. thing. And even then, this yeah. reform movement never signed on to more than about three and a half of the points anyways. Well, that's kind of the thing. I mean, it is a, it is a weird kind of animal. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and I mean, really, when you think about it, um, Beaky had a big, great big book on um, that, that was basically on like essentially everything that, that uh, is in reformed theology. And he made a really great point that it's like, if you are taking those concepts and and distilling them down to the five points you're act, you're missing it entirely mm -hmm. that it's 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 significantly more than about um what we believe about how god works in salvation mm -hmm. um it's it has it has a necessary effect on every single area of your life and it's it's so much more robust than i think we give it credit for yeah um but it also yeah but there's also the difficulty that many folks get really, really excited about something, and then mm -hmm. as soon as something new that's exciting comes <laughs> along, sure, <laughs> they well, go for that instead. The, the the reformed movement, the new Calvinism, whatever you want to call it, yeah, yeah, it yeah, came yeah. about, I think, organically. There was just a swell. Yeah. I mean, you can trace the roots back through Banner of Truth and yeah. Ian Murray, and there's lots of different roots. Um, all that is good, but I think the movement grew organically. But it did raise the question of who gets to define what counts as reformed. So who gets right. to define who's part of this? Who can speak at the conferences? Who's reformed enough to speak at these conferences? <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. And um, got a little bit weird there, yeah. deciding who's in and who's out. Um, but somebody had to sort of own the term or define the term. And, and so for a while it was organic, but then organizations and publishers started to define it a little more. And so yeah. things like T4G, Gospel Coalition, other organizations came up and I think worked with um, the big names to try and put boundaries on this thing. Yeah. But then over time it came to be owned as well by the publishers and everything else. So I think what started organic became less organic. Yeah. And I think that's where it kind of lost some of its fun as well. Um, or yeah. something, something changed when it became a little more owned or professionalized it was inevitable yeah. and it's not a bad thing 
But yeah. it, the roots of it were very different from what it's become. So I asked so. A, a colleague of ours before, I said, you any questions for Tim Challies? I said, we're about to interview him. This is Mary Wiley. Mary wanted to know, first she wanted to say, your visual guides of theology uh, and the Bible are genius. She'd love to know what sparked those and how people were responding to a book intended to teach that is not a linear line to a textbook. So the visual theology stuff, uh, yeah, that came out of, um, one of the things I'm regularly asking is what's being done well or succeeding outside the Christian space that's mm -hmm. not yet been done or succeeded in the Christian space. And um, infographics was one of those where I was seeing a lot of visual language being used outside but not much inside. Yeah. And so I started just looking around, I started finding designers who could help me with that. Yeah. And it started just as posters, pretty casual, but eventually grew up to being a little more of a, a brand and yeah. bringing the books out. But I think it's great though, because we are a visual culture, no doubt about that, mm -hmm. having someone explain um, sometimes a complicated topic, you know, yeah. and really help someone kind of work through it that mm -hmm. way. And yeah. it's memorable. It is, yeah. and God used visual language. Yeah. The tabernacle was right. very, yeah. very visual. It was yeah. visual theology. Right. Yeah. Everything there had a, a function, yeah. but it also had a meaning beyond itself. So you right. could study the altar and learn truth about God and man yeah. in there. You could see the sacrifices being performed. That showed you something about God, it showed you something about man and the relationship between them. So it was very visual and it was meant to teach. Right. Um, so I think we had something good to go on there. Yeah. And I also found the Puritans did some of it. You could find these great big posters the Puritans put together mm -hmm. that would trace um, salvation and reprobation, these two different lines and stuff. Yeah. So uh, there's well, several. Even even older, there's the, um, you know, the uh, imagery for the, like basically the, the Trinitarian crest sure. kind of thing. I yeah. mean, that's like been, I'm trying yeah. to think of how, how long yeah. that has been in use. So it wasn't dispensationalists who came up with visual theology with their, <laughs> yeah, right. their end time stuff. <laughs> it right. it so, predated so charts, that. Charts and graphs yeah. are, uh, yeah. are there from the beginning. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where most of us yeah. first saw visual theology yeah. was explanations for the end times when all these different things are going yes. to happen. Yeah. Um, but I think we've been able to, to broaden it to more areas. Yeah. And the first ones yeah. I did were all about Reformed theology. That was my interest at the time. And yeah. that's what we focused on. Well, yeah. and we talk so much about just narrative and just you know teaching through books so often, yet I don't think we really tackle. I mean, look, it, it's, yeah. it's similar to look at a, um, a graphic novel, yeah. comic books in general. There's some who would look at it a certain way, but like, but also like, I, my youngest daughter in particular loves both mediums and mm -hmm. she learns from both of them, but some she'll glean more from having a visual representation of what's yeah. happening in a story and thus teaching as well from a theology perspective. I mean, I love it. I, I'll, if you asked me this 10 years ago, I'd say, no, you can't do that. It needs to be written. You need to be able to follow the words and mm -hmm. let that be the lead. But I've chilled out over time <laughs> to realize that, no, all that matters is what's effective. Yeah. You know, if you're intend, you know, it's a, if it's intended for someone to learn uh, sometimes a complicated concept, why not? So yeah. I think yeah. it's great. Yeah. yeah. And I did not know that historical, you know, how it would disappear, not disappear, mm -hmm. but it would be less popular over time periods, but mm -hmm. also come back. So, yeah. Yeah. all right. All so right. 500 years from now, they're going to be looking back, finding these books and saying, this Tim Challenge guy, he's explaining this pretty well. Let's Maybe. bring it back. And look know? how dated that those graphics look <laughs> and everything else now. So that's yeah, always the right. way of it. These things change uh, that's and need to be yeah. updated and yeah. Yeah, I mean the nice thing is, is it'll be a sem it'll be a first I mean, year seminary student. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so thinking about you and reading with 
reviewing with all kinds of kinds of different things. What typically um, makes for a book that you're that you're like, I think this is one that I'm gonna invest the time and actually review. Yeah, it can be two things. It can be a book I'm really excited about, passionate about, interested in, or it can be a book I think other people will be interested in. Right. So sometimes I read books that I myself am deeply engaged in. Other times I read books I don't particularly get excited about, yeah. but I think other people will benefit from. So I, I think it, yeah. can go, it can go both ways. Or books that are just really, really rotten, but are, are gaining a lot of attention. Right. And so I've, I've made it a point over the years to read a lot of those. So I don't think we've had that book. Like for, we had yeah. a string of them there where we had like we did, some of yeah. the emerging stuff that was going boom and people were reading it. Yeah. I felt the need to review that. We had the heaven tourism genre, which went big. We had the shack. Yep. But I think over the last few years, Jesus Calling came after that. Over the yeah. last few years, I don't think we've had the next big yeah, the, heretical or nonsensical book. I mean, the, the crazies kind of toned down a little bit, which is Yeah, maybe nice. the publishing industry, nah. Um, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but we just haven't had, they, they're probably just looking for the next big thing but i think Maybe. jesus calling was the last really big yeah. book that oh i guess there's um um rachel hollis who's yeah yeah i was just gonna say those Girl kind of face that's yeah. kind of the most recent like explosive phenomenon yeah. and those one, very but... much skirt the christian mainstream market so yeah they're, it's, it's christian-ish yeah and... you'll see it at the airport bookstore which is usually yeah. a sign that it's not a truly christian book though maybe jesus calling was it was fully published under a christian brand and was probably sold there but yeah um she seems to skirt the self-help as much as the christian market yeah but yeah, I don't yeah. think we're we're in one of those phases now. We're having a lot of those. So I don't feel the need to invest in in that sort of yeah. uh, apologetic reviewing. Yeah. What was what was a book that you reviewed that you did not expect would take off the way that it did, either either for good or ill? I think maybe some of the early heaven tourism stuff. Like I reviewed yeah. um, Ninety Minutes in Heaven when it was maybe a hundred thousand, not ten million, or however it got off to. Yeah. So I think it would probably be one of those where I got to it fairly early yeah. rather than after it had completely blown up. Yeah. 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 And then even reading it, I, it baffled me that anybody could be interested in it or, or take it seriously. Take it seriously yeah. as anything more than utterly ridiculous. Yeah. And that especially became true as more of those heaven tourism books came out. Suddenly there was a flood of them. Everybody was remembering their experience and writing about it and they were all different from one another. None of the details, none yeah. of even the big pictures were <laughs> made made sense measured against one another and yet yeah. people were just lapping it up. Yeah. Man, you know, I think we that's it. I think we all missed the boat there. I think we should have uh, <laughs> if we if we wanted to pay for our kids college and pay for it well. Oh yeah. I just mean, remember that. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I mean that's why I'm holding out for holding on to my Amish romance. Um, yeah, yeah, it's coming. Yeah. Well, let me say one more thing too. So uh, I, I would say, this, as someone who's highly benefited from when you switched over to not only writing about books and even ones that would be perceived as heretical to uh, to the visual kind of like you know doing a video on it, which I thought was great. A it, it helped me. Some people aren't willing to say I'm going to read a hit piece on something, but I thought the way you would talk about it was important. It wasn't just what specifically you said. It was a tone. It was. I, I was more curious to hear the way you were saying it. So what, when did you start doing that? Oh, I guess a couple of years ago. Um, really, what happened was I started on this project that was taking me across the world with a guy holding a camera in my face, and that kind of got me used to the idea of speaking to a camera. And so I just went with it. Uh, lately, I've broken away from doing as much of it just because there's a high 
barrier to entry. It's just expensive, honest. Yeah. It's, it's difficult and expensive compared to writing an article. And so I just haven't had the funding I once maybe had or thought was worth investing in to do that. But when I travel to conferences, that's what I hear again and again is thanks for your videos, especially from the younger demographic, which makes yeah. me think I need to get back to it. But Tim just put I, me in the younger demographic. I do not I really enjoy wanna, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, go. just pause on that especially, for a second. Thing. Especially. And actually overseas, video is huge. So yeah. um, a lot of people use it as training in English. People watch things to help them speak English better. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just passed around. And in a lot of places in the world, it's very cheap comparatively to watch video than to buy a book or to buy a Kindle book or something. Yeah. Um, data is free or very close to it. So it's amazing how much it yeah. gets watched elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. How do you create space for yourself to read, um, to read different, different mm -hmm. things or to... Um, uh, expand what you're reading. Yeah, I started doing reading challenges a few years ago where I just put out there at the end of the year, yeah. uh, how many books do you want to read this year? And here are some uh, categories to consider reading across. And that had yeah. come out of my own reading, just a desire to, to keep my reading fresh. If you're going to read only books published by reformed-ish Christian publishers, you're not going to be reading a, a good variety of books Mm -hmm. Also, this space cannot produce enough good books. It produces lots of books, but not enough fresh books and new books saying yeah. new things. Um, we're very much into publishing niche books now, where a yeah. lot of the books have been written. So now we're kind of rewriting that book into what you might almost consider special interest groups. And you see it with Bibles. There's a Bible for every, a study Bible for every group now. Mm -hmm. And that's because the, the broad market has been saturated or close to it. And so now we're rewriting the books directed toward um, you know, this group, the men or women or whatever, may not pick up a general book, but they'll pick up this book if it's written for men or written for women or written yeah. for teens, that kind of thing. Um, so there's not a ton of originality and freshness in the space right now. So I can find it very hard to just keep reading what's roughly the same thing yeah. um, said in just slightly different ways. So by varying my reading, it makes it a whole lot more exciting, more interesting. And that's yeah. true within the broader Christian space, but even more so getting outside of Christian yeah. publishing. Yeah. So what have, been, um, what have been a couple of really good books that um, you've enjoyed recently? Bill Bryson's The Body okay. was fantastic. So it's a nice. guided tour. He's a travel writer yeah. predominantly. So he travels the human body and writes about it. It's amazing. Um, there's joy in just reading about the, the incredible marvel that is the human body. Mm -hmm. um, there's also the, the weird joy of reading about this guy, writing about it, and then trying to deny that God had anything to do with it. <laughs> it was just so convicting. Like Romans 1 is true. People will deny God because if they don't deny God, they have to admit the existence of God. And if there is a God, he may just have a moral claim over you. Uh, he may yep. just be your enemy, not your friend. And so it was... It was amazing. And just hearing him cheat all the time. This has been so intricately engineered and designed by evolution. Right. You can't cheat that way. Come on. Yeah, Either it's designed or not. Yeah, a process a, can't design anything. Right, right. An impersonal <laughs> process, yeah. Um, so that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm reading a book now called, I want to say Land of Hope, which is a history of America, mm -hmm. which uh, has been very, very good, very interesting. And I think properly captures the tensions in any national history, but particularly mm -hmm. American history, between the triumph of the nation and the, the horrors of the nation, the things it's done so well, exceptionally well, and the things it's done very poorly. Yeah. And I think you can figure out what that is in American history, um, but I think he's done a really good job in capturing that tension and, and writing about it well. Yeah. So it's been a joy. 
Yeah, very cool. Very cool. So some of our listeners are um, actually are aspiring writers to mm-hmm. some degree. Um, what would be something that you would, what would be some advice that you would have, have for them? First, writers write. So <laughs> that's right. I understand. But a lot of people <laughs> say they're writers, but they're not actually writing. They've defined themselves as writers because they like to write or they believe they have some talent in writing, but they're mm-hmm. not actually writing. So the first thing you got to do is commit to actually writing. Right. Um, that sounds simple, but there's a lot of people who don't adhere to that basic rule. Yeah. Once you're writing, you're producing writing. Then if you think you have something to say that's not necessarily pride, we tend to think that, oh, I couldn't possibly have mm-hmm. anything good to say. Well, you may. Yeah. Um, so start putting it out there and see if other people agree with that assessment. And that's where I think you can decide. I think it's okay to say, I want to blog on the way to being an author, but just be honest with yourself about yeah. that. So is this a platform? Is this a place where you're going to just gain some feedback and start building up what would lead toward um, a, a book contract? Nobody nobody bo- is bothered that some people play in the minor leagues on the way to the major leagues. It's just the stepping stone. Yeah. So that's fine. Just be honest with yourself. Um, but maybe you just want to commit to blogging and say, that's all I want to do. And I'm content to see that, to try and master that form of communication and do well with that. Those yeah. are that's a very easy way to get your writing public and to um, start getting feedback on it. Yeah, yeah, cool. You really do kind of have an interesting experience with publishing just in general in that um, you are, like so, you're a blogger, so you're, you're you know, assessing other works that are published. You write books yourself, um, and you're also involved in a in a publishing company as well, mm. Cruciform Press. Yeah. Um, so what's um, what's something? And I mean, I've had a I've had my first two books published through Cruciform Press, mm. which was a really great experience for me. Um, but um, how about you give us a a, a quick uh, couple couple minutes on like what's what's the vision? What mm. and and what are some of the 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 things that you're excited about? Um, as one of the one of the partners in that, so Cruciform really arose as almost a self-publishing thing. It, mm-hmm. it was a way of me taking articles and just topics I'd written about that had done well in the blogosphere, yeah. trying to get them um, distributed in different forms. And so I got in touch with this guy Kevin uh, to talk about if he would edit some of these things before I self-published. Mm-hmm. He said, "Well, why don't we think about editing them and then just forming a publishing company together and putting them out that way?" So that was the the genesis of Cruciform Press. Yeah. And the first book was Sexual Detox, my own book. Since then, I've published several others through it, and I've seen that as a great means of avoiding a lot of the the longer process of publishing. We can yep. get something pretty quick to print, get it out there while it's still urgent. Uh, which has been great. Yeah. Um, though I also work with traditional publishers on other and on other projects, and they have their own benefits. So yeah. I think for Cruciform, it's still going. We kind of take it casually um, as projects come up. Yeah. But I think that's really our thing: is what books can be pretty quick to print, um, pretty urgent topics. We'll yeah. get those out to to an audience and um, you get them well edited, but uh, also not with a one year timeline. That's pretty typical within publishing. Yeah. Being the Canadian. Um, and sometimes, like we said at the beginning, kind of being the co- token Canadian at these mm-hmm. things. What is um, what is one of the things that you um, that you notice that maybe that maybe people who are um, immersed in the um, American Christian culture that you pick up on that 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 they wouldn't. Maybe it's the uniqueness of American Christian culture. Okay. it is unique. There is 
there is money in America, there's organization in America, there's ministry in America that just doesn't happen elsewhere. America can have 10 or 15 really good seminaries going at any given time, full of great faculty, churning out great students. The rest of the world can barely put together one right. that is comparable. Never could the rest of the world put together something comparable to Southern Seminary or something like that. It's just, there's something in America, there's a, uh, the evangelical church here is strong and generous. Uh, the American generosity is almost unparalleled in terms of financial giving and what that can do. The, the cooperative program in the Southern Baptist Church, Southern Baptists may take for granted, but nobody else has anything quite like it and what you can accomplish through yeah. something like that. So I think as a foreigner, um, and then somebody who travels extensively through the rest of the world, I've just never seen anything like that combination of American generosity and what it can do. And that's yeah. not just Southern Baptist, just across uh, the American church in general. It's, yeah. it's extraordinary. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Well, see, then, see, it's not, it's not all bad it's living here. It's not all here. bad. We love America, and yeah. the rest of the world depends upon America, maybe to an unhealthy degree. Possibly. But, as I travel, one of my main themes, so the last two years I traveled to 20, probably 26 different countries or something silly like that. Um, I saw Americans everywhere enabled by American money, American generosity to go and reach the world. Mm -hmm. um, I saw the, the International Mission Board everywhere yeah. in, uh, in, in the world. I mean, it's extraordinary what can happen through American generosity and American missions movements, etc. So yeah. um, I think the rest of the world is very dependent upon America and very grateful to America for um, what only America seems right now at this time and this place in history capable of doing. Right, right. So, so should we send more Americans to uh, to help us out in Canada? <laughs> Well-trained Americans, Americans who are willing to come and realize <laughs> that Canada is not America, by all means. And I mean, we can laugh, but it is funny yeah. how some people can't, because the country seems so similar from the outside looking in, yeah. you can think you can come up and just be American in Canada. Yeah. The people who are successful doing business or doing ministry in Canada are the ones who realize they need to treat this as a foreign country, yes. not just America Junior. They need to think differently. They need yeah. to realize they'll be talking to a lot of people who have never heard the gospel. A lot of people yes. who only know Jesus as a swear word. And that's yeah. not just Quebec. I mean, that's all across that's, I mean, I mean, Canada. that's the thing. It's yep. like, um, I mean, it is, it is a, and I know this is a, a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I mean, it is something that I've been like, the longer I'm down here, the more I realize that, um, I mean, what, where Canada is in, in many ways, um, like, so we're, we're in the States, we're in this place where, um, you know, it's the, the rapid rise of post-Christianity is, mm -hmm. is upon the nation. Um, and so with that comes a lot of hostility, um, overt hostility, because mm -hmm. there's some kind of, twisted familiarity with um with some form of christian christianity or mm -hmm. experience with someone claiming to be a christian sure. um for 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 good or ill um where in canada we've moved a step beyond that into mm -hmm. into what really is essentially um a reversion to pre-christian yeah so where yeah. people aren't necessarily hostile they just don't know 
anything. Yeah, they're not even thinking about Christians. Right, exactly. Not, so there's an evangelical movement or evangelicals are, are thought of as a voting block, as a right. religious group, whatever, in America. In Canada, they're just not even thought of. It's weird yeah. to, to meet somebody who really holds to Christian convictions in Canada. You'll meet lots of people who hold to Muslim convictions. That's yes. pretty normal and they're yeah. usually identifiable. They they wear something that tips you off they're Muslim or they're wearing a turban, they're a Sikh, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. and you can track them down. But yeah, it's odd to meet somebody who's holding to Christian convictions in Canada now. Yeah. So most Christians are just not thought of in Canada. They're out of mind. Right, which can be to our advantage. Yeah, until somebody stands up, a church says, we had to let this person go because they are in a same-sex relationship or those sorts of things. Occasionally yeah. it, it pops up, maybe through abortion, maybe yeah. through same-sex marriage or some transgenderism. Or the, or the really angry street preachers sure, in London. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, you know, yeah. I saw them pop up on the yeah. CBC again. Yep. Um, it's it's pretty wild when my former church had, when I read that my former church had to put a ban on them. <laughs> like they have yeah. like, you're not allowed in our building. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so. Yep. Ah, that's crazy. It that's is, yeah. crazy. Yeah. So clearly I need to get back to Canada for a little bit. Yeah. No, we're not hurting to, for too many Christians there for sure. That's true. So, that's true. Yeah. I uh, I do keep noticing how small the community is. It's like, mm -hmm. do you know this person? It's like, actually I do. Yeah. <laughs> it's yep. like, that's really weird. Yep. Um, all right. So Tim, uh, thanks for joining us for this. This was this has been really fun. We got a couple things left to, to talk about here. My pleasure. We briefed you on one of them before, and uh, it involves a pop culture reference that you don't understand, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Um, but um, the first is the Jack Reacher Sucker Punch of the Week. So, Are we all going to do this, or is it just me? It's just you as our guest. the honorary punch. <laughs> I guess it's just something I'm frustrated at. Absolutely. What's, what's grinding like your gears? Bothered by? Let's talk about this gospel-centered thing. Okay. Let's, let's talk about creating a term that's really undefined mm -hmm. and then everybody piling onto that term before we've carefully defined it in place of other terms. I'm, mm. I'm all for being gospel-centered depending on the definition, yeah. but I think it just stands as one of those terms that's a flash in a pan, nobody's gonna be using in 10 years, and yet we all jumped on it, everybody rushed to say they're gospel-centered before they understood what it meant or, um, and. For many people, I think it displaced or replaced better terms that have more historical meaning and more longevity. I'm sure Jack Reacher talks about stuff like being gospel-centered oh, too, absolutely. doesn't he? Oh, absolutely. That's, yeah. that's what his last like book kind of was, yeah. was all about. Right. You know, while he was while he was beating up terrorists or yeah, something yeah. like right. that. And, and he was yeah. played by Tom Cruise in the movies too. Yeah, so there you go. Right. I know. So it all makes sense. Yeah, it's okay. It does. Tim, you mentioned a couple of uh, a couple of books that that have really stood out to you recently. Uh, our last question is: What are you reading right now? Finishing up that book I mentioned mm -hmm. on American history, I yep. got a couple chapters left. It was just kind of heavy to bring along on this trip, so yeah. I left it behind. I'm reading David McCullough's book on the pioneers, okay, yep. which I wouldn't say is his best work. You can't go wrong. The first sentence of that book is epic. Only David McCullough can write that sentence, which I'll have to leave. I don't have it handy, so I can't okay. read it. But man, that is an epic David McCullough sentence. It goes all over the place, but somehow manages to hold together. Um, so yeah, I don't think it's his best work, but I'm still enjoying it. I'm just having trouble okay. staying staying glued to it. By the right. by the way, like you read so much more widely than I thought. You know, when mm -hmm. I, I had asked Aaron, I said, when, yeah, when we were talking about having you on, I said, I don't know, does Tim just read just read theology, or do you oh, read a wide? Close, you read no. a much wider yeah. uh, 
Range I'm sort of reading a little obsessively now about totalitarianism, especially the early socialist and heading into the communist era. Yeah. Just because I think we're getting into an era of totalitarianism, like some sort of social totalitarianism in our culture, what Rod Dreher refers to as soft totalitarianism. Mm -hmm. So I think I got I don't know Rod, but I don't feel, think it feels soft if you're the one who's getting totaled by this totalitarianism. Yeah. So I'm not sure his terminology is Only if right. you're reading about it or kind of watching it from afar. Yeah. You look at it, it and say, yeah. It feels soft. But if you're one of these guys who's been busted down by it, I don't think it feels soft. Right. I understand it's not like Maoism. I, I, I get that. But on the other hand, it, it, it doesn't feel soft. So I've been doing a lot of reading on that. And the other yeah. book I'm reading now that I'm sort of enjoying is called Company of One. It's about keeping your business deliberately small, mm. um, which has been one of my emphases. And a lot of Christian ministries get bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, unlimited growth, just like in business. Yeah. And I've very purposely stayed as myself and um, have a couple of people who help me administratively, Yes, um, but haven't wanted to grow. Uh, every Christian ministry comes up to this point where you have to decide, will I have people produce things in my name? Yep. Or will I try and spin myself off and have other people who are like me doing the same thing? Yeah. And I've never wanted to grow to that point. And yeah. this book has given me the rationale why that's okay and why it doesn't make me a bad person or a bad Christian to want to just keep this thing small, mobile, yeah. Uh, yeah, you don't, you don't need to be the Tim, the Tim Challies company. You just want to. You can right. just be Tim, Tim Challies Ministries, where I'm. Yeah. I'm going to have people writing things in my name and yeah. ghostwriting books and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yes. There, there are other ways of going about it, but I just don't have that desire to be the the head of an empire. Yeah. I'm very happy to just be me, and I, I love to be able to go to conferences and just like meet people, spend time with yeah. people. Um, even as an introvert, like that really brings a lot of joy to me. And so I'm, I'm yeah. content to, to stay nice. small. And yeah. that's, Very cool. that's great. Yeah. That's there's, awesome. There's fidelity in that, which yeah. I appreciate. Yeah. yeah absolutely. 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 Yeah. Dave, what are you reading? Uh, well, I'll play off since you're reading about the, the American History book. I'm reading Legacy of Ashes, The History of the CIA. Oh, cool. And it is fascinating. Have you read it or know about it? Tim Wiener, it came out a few years mm -hmm. ago. And it's a huge book, so and I'm actually I'm listening to the audiobook, so I've taken nice. a few I've actually taken a few weeks on this one, but it's uh, fascinating. I I think if you look at the last seventy years of its existence and like what's happened parallel to the CIA or directly involved by the CIA, yeah. I mean it's a mess. It's called Legacy of Ashes for a reason. Mm -hmm. There there are more misses than uh, than shots yeah. made. I think uh, how much they can't tell you or won't tell you. Like a book right. like that, by definition, will just be scraping the surface. A absolutely. So this is working. So pretty much, I can tell. Like anything up to roughly 1980 is pretty. I mean, mm -hmm. it's become more well known now. Yeah. Things have been declassified. Once yeah. you get 9/11, has never been fully, you sure. know, uh, uh, ironed out. But it's still fascinating to see how. Mm -hmm. They've changed what were they were like uh, during the Cold War, of course. Mm -hmm. And then what does the pivot look like post ninety one? Mm -hmm. And then it gets interesting as they're trying to reinvent themselves. And then yeah. now we're in this interesting post nine eleven time frame and mm -hmm. trying to figure out what's their goal, what are their goals. They yeah. so their purpose changes over time many mm -hmm. times, and that's that's part of what uh, confuses people. And mm -hmm. um, I don't know, it's really interesting. Yeah. I recommend it. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it, it'll be a 
definitely a four star, maybe five star for me. So right. very yeah. cool, very cool. Aaron, what do you got? Uh, well, I have um, one that I am just starting to get into is um, a wild sheep chase by Haruki Murakami. Is this a word book or a comic book? It's a word book. Okay. It's it's a novel, right. um, and it follows an unnamed protagonist who um, gets a postcard that, unbeknownst to him has an image of a mutated sheep in it, and um, he decides to use this in, uh, this image in, in an advertising campaign, and then he finds it, and then he gets basically sent on this quest to go find the sheep, or, he's, or someone's gonna kill him. It's, you know, standard fare, yeah, you know. it's normal, it's happened to all of us at one time or another. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, but yeah, so that's, uh, that's what I got on, on the books right now, so. All right, so uh, Tim, thanks again for, for hanging out with us. This sure. was a lot of fun. And, uh, and, you know, thanks for giving me a hard time about uh, being away. Yeah. Half Canadian. Half Canadian. Half Canadian. Mm-hmm. My best. Yeah. I'm, uh, Half will Canadian I be full Canadian Aaron. when I go to visit the country? No. No? no. As long as you're a permanent resident. Think about that term. Permanent resident. Yes, that's Of true. another country. That's yeah. true. All right. All right. So, Dave, thanks for hang- hanging out. And uh, listeners, thanks for uh, hanging out with us today. We'll talk to you later. Bye. This is an Area Code podcast.